0: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Those were the first two or three verses of the Scripture and the last two or three verses of the Scripture. From the beginning to the end and everything in between, our God has not changed, and nor will He ever. This morning's message is entitled, The Never Changing God. And we're going to be looking at the second incommunicable attribute of our God. Last week we looked at the independence of God. Today we're going to be looking at the immuta- immutable, or the immutable aspect or attribute of God, immutability, if you will. In nature there are many creatures, animals, bugs, lizards, creepy, crawly things that can change their color and their physical orientation in order to mimic the world around them. One of my favorites are the octopuses or the octopi, I guess is how you would say that plural, or squids in the oceans that can change their color and look like the seafloor, if you will. Whenever I'm watching like, uh, I don't know, the Discovery Channel, the Nature Channel, I don't know tree hugger channel. I don't know what it is. Anyway, when I'm watching one of those channels, I I, I just am fascinated by by those animals in the sea that can change their appearance so quickly, both to protect themselves and also to hide themselves from prey that they might end up eating. Now, typically, these animals can change their features to hide from predators or sneak up on prey. And for instance, the Arctic hare, which is a rabbit, okay, the Arctic hare and the chameleon have a different appearance depending on the season or the circumstance. And so, for instance, the Arctic hare in the spring and in the summer actually has brownish-gray hair, very similar to our cottontail that we see around our houses today. However, as it starts getting colder, that hair ends up becoming white, and so it ends up blending in with the snow that's around them to protect them from predators. However, the chameleon can also change colors to blend in with its surroundings, and that is not so much to do with, their, uh, with hiding from prey, but actually it's a way for them to regulate their body temperature. That was something new. I wasn't aware of that. You know, if I were a chameleon, I'd be changing my colors all the time. I'd just change. You know, it'd be kind of like changing socks, if you will. But it also does make them harder to detect. Now, every living organism has the ability to change based on their environment every single organism based on their environment their circumstance or their cycle in life in fact the ability to change or adapt is one biological definition of life and so there are a few definitions that biologists give uh, to what makes something actually alive you know what makes a a squirrel different from a rock well what are those biological definitions and one of them is the ability to adapt to their environment, their ability to adapt. Adaptations are absolutely crucial for us as humans, too. New experiences, new circumstances, new challenges force us to adapt. Now, we may not necessarily adapt physically, although historically we might be able to look at generations before us and see physical differences in different humans that based upon location and those sorts of things. But in general, we have to adapt as well. In fact, there's an idiom that says we either adapt or die. Adaptation is important in an ever-changing world, but this is not the case for God. And this really kind of puts a wrinkle with some individuals who are sort of liberal theological scholars. They really want God to change. They want God to have the ability to change. And I don't just mean uh, His appearance, if you will, which is an odd thing considering that God is Spirit, right? But wants to be able to change His measure for morality, His measure for holiness, His measure for perfection. All of those things liberal scholars really want, and they will do everything in their power to contrive the Word of God to make it seem as if God can change. But our God does not change. And Wayne Grudem defines this divine attribute of immutability, or the unchangeableness of God, as follows. He says, God is unchanging in His being, in His perfections, His purposes, and His promises, yet God does act and feel emotions. And He acts and feels differently in response to different circumstances. So God is not a statue. God is not a statue. He does interact with the world around him. And his emotions will be influenced, if you will, and we'll use that word very loosely this morning, by those around. If sin is present, guess what? God is angry. If holiness is present, what do you know? God is happy. Now, the difference between you and, you and I and God is this. When someone sins or someone is acting in a holy manner, we didn't predict that. We didn't providentially will that to occur. So, in some sense, we're surprised. Now, as far as the sin thing, you know, when we see somebody sin, we're not really that surprised, right? Especially depending on who it is children. Okay? And so, but in reality, we're, we're somewhat surprised. We couldn't predict that. God's not. God is not surprised. So, God has the ability to have joy, happiness, and anger at something, have those emotions, and react to those emotions, even though he's not surprised in the least, because it was by his providence that these things occurred in the first place. So while this attribute or doctrine is not one of them that we often think about, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that most of us don't go to bed every night thinking about the immutability of God. Oh God, I am so thankful that you are immutable. Right? That's probably not a word that's typically on our the tip of our tongue. Now, we will oftentimes in church, we will thank God for being unchanging and things. We'll refer to that, right? But it's not one that's necessarily just sitting there just like it's not something that we're praising Him for all the time because it's, an, it's, an, it's, just, it's, it's a little bit more obscure, if you will, that doctrine. But I would argue that it is one of the most important attributes of God and one that we rest our everyday lives on. And I will also argue this. Even though we said last week, and I'm going to refer to this again towards the end of the message, even though we said last week that God is not dependent on anything in creation, I would argue that His attributes are interdependent, meaning this. The other attributes of God are dependent upon the immutability of God. So if I could say it this way, if God can change then so can God's faithfulness. So can God's dependability. So we rest heavily on this doctrine that God does not change. So let's look at the unchanging goodness of God. Scholars could write books, and they have, on this one attribute. We could fill libraries talking about this one attribute of God. But this one sermon... We don't have enough time to explore the doctrine exhaustively, so we're not going to be able to do it justice in that way. So what we're going to do is we're just going to survey the landscape and cover those topics which seem most pressing. So one pivotal concept that we should understand is how God's unchangingness, and that's what we're going to describe this as, is tied to His goodness and our benefit. Now this is something that we need to pay special attention to, that His unchangingness is directly tied to His goodness. Let's look at what James writes in James chapter 1 verses 16 through 18. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Let me say this again. He, it says here, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change, none. So as you know, when the sun changes location in our sky, the shadows change. They get longer, they get shorter, right? That's not so with God. God is not influenced by our circumstances. Now, there are times in life for us which are very difficult. Some of these difficulties, some of these times are due to the brokenness of the world. And I think others, I think that we all would admit that the difficult times are a result of our own sin and our own brokenness. And it's during these times that God, through His Word, Spirit, or action, can and does rebuke us. God rebukes sinners. He does that through His Word. The Word rebukes us when we are sinful. He does it through His Spirit. His Spirit convicts us when we are sinful, or it should. If it does not, then we need to reevaluate our salvation. And thirdly, He rebukes us directly through His own action. But this discipline does not undermine the fact that our God is always good. Now, when you talk to a child and they get rebuked or disciplined, they do not immediately say, well, that was good. That was a good thing. My mother and father rebuked me. I am happy thus has happened. They don't do that. They don't like discipline. Kids don't like discipline. Adults don't like discipline. We don't like it. But the reality is that discipline for children is a good thing. The Proverbs talks about it. We need to discipline our children. And the, re- the reality is we need to be disciplined at times. So regardless of our liking discipline or not, when God rebukes us, He is still good. That does not change one bit. James wants his reader to understand that our God is not a vindictive megalomaniac. God is not a giant seventh grader with, and yes, Drake, I said seventh grader, with a magnifying glass, killing ants on an anthill. That's not who our God is. Instead, He is a good and loving Father who blesses us with every good gift and every perfect gift. God is the benefactor of all common grace and That is bestowed upon creation. Now let me define common grace. Common grace is not saving grace. Common grace is the graciousness that God gives all people regardless of whether they are Christians or not. So when you look out and you say, those individuals don't even believe in God, yet it seems like they are blessed. The correct answer is very well may be, yeah, they are. Why? It's because God blesses all people in certain ways. That's common grace, which should not be confused with saving grace. However, our sinfulness can at times veil the truth of this goodness, and that's exactly what happens. We look at discipline oftentimes as being unfair. And we're going to get back how this how this ties into the immutability of God or the unchangingness of God. But we we just need to sit here for a second. We look at discipline as a negative thing, and the reason we look at it as a negative thing is because of our sin. Our sin blinds us or veils us to the purposes of God at times, and so we just cry out, that's unfair. When the reality is this, is that God is always fair. In fact, I would even argue this, is that God goes beyond fair because the only one who never deserved discipline or punishment or rebuke received it on the cross. So the unfair thing is that Jesus had to pay your price for sin in the first place. So let me put it this way. If later on you get rebuked, You get disciplined by the Lord, but you're not hanging naked on a cross with nails in your wrists and in your ankles with a a crown of thorns on your head. If that's not how you're being disciplined, then you're living the good life. Sometimes what God means for good, we see as harmful or even evil. Remember Joseph in Genesis. And at sometimes what we see as good, God sees as sin. Sin skews all of this. What is good is not defined by us, but a holy God. Now, here's where I tie this back into the immutability of God. How does this relate? It relates in this way. Let's look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. He says this, we know that for those... How is that tied to the goodness of God, the gifts of God that James talks about? Well, this is the reality. If God changes, we cannot rely on that promise. If God can change, if God has the ability to completely change His personality and His attitude, His morality, His goodness, then we cannot trust that those who He foreknew he also predestined. Maybe God just decides one day, you all annoy me. I'm changing my mind. But that's not our God because our God is good and our God is dependable and our God fulfills all of his promises. Why? Because he is an unchanging God. Likewise, Paul says this in Romans 8, 37 through 39, in all these things, we are more than conquerors for through him Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God is a changing God, then we cannot rely on that promise. And that is exactly what that is. That is a promise for those who love God we have no fear of death. We have no fear of angels or demons. We have no fear of rulers and kings. Why? Because Christ is king. And that's not going to change as long as God does not change. For those who truly love God, for those who are joint heirs with Jesus, Everything God does is for His glory and for our good. This does not change, and the doctrine of God's immutability teaches this. So how does that apply? Well, it applies this way. When we are in the valley, God is with us. When we are on the mountaintop, God is with us. In our deepest depression and sorrow, God is loving us. In the presence of our fiercest enemy, God is standing with us and He is fighting for us. And when it seems that all hope is lost, our God is ruling and reigning on His throne. So our circumstances change, but our God does not You may feel like you are in the deepest pit of grime, depression, sorrow. Catastrophe has struck your life. You do not know where to go. You are in the deepest of the darkest of valleys. Where do you go? That is not a question that God has to ask himself. Why? Because God is not surprised, nor is God leaving you there by yourself. You may feel alone, but you are not. You are not. It might just be that God is allowing you to experience, experience this deep, deep sorrow and pain and crisis to leave you nowhere else to turn but to Him. Imagine this horrific scenario. What if God did change? What if God did change his mind or act differently than what he providentially willed to happen before creation? What if his word was not inerrant? What if it was not true? What if there were places in God's word that just don't count? Could we depend upon God following through on his promises? Nope. And mind you, if God fails in one of his promises, then we cannot trust on any of his promises. Could we be separated from the love of God? Yes. Could we rely on the hope that we have in God in Christ? No. Would God's providence even exist? No. Even the providence of God. Even the providence of God rests on the truth of the doctrine of God's immutability. If God can change, then God's providence does not exist. Now that goes into some pretty thick philosophy that we're not going to chase this morning. I just hope that you would trust me in when I say this, is that we rely heavily on God's providence. Well, God's providence relies heavily on the fact that He does not change. Because if He changes, then that means everything else can. Our ability to depend upon a holy God is strictly tied to His ability to never change. Our hope that anything good can come from this broken world, is entirely dependent upon an unchanging, unflinching, immutable God. So if you are resting or if you are suffering in the deepest valley, the deepest pit of despair and sorrow, depression and catastrophe in your life, I don't wish that upon anyone, but I am here to tell you that if God is an unchanging God, You can endure it because God is not going to leave you alone. You have someone to turn to. But if God can change, then you have no one. Or at least you cannot trust anyone. But God doesn't change. He doesn't change. And therefore you have the greatest reason hope. But here's a question for you. Doesn't God change His mind? So this is an argument that many, even in the church, will say, that God can change His mind like we do. We change our mind often. Jackson asks me if we can go out and play football. That's in the morning. Five o'clock rolls around after a long day of work, and Jackson says, can we go out and play football? I'll say, Jackson, not today. And then he has this well-rehearsed refrain, but dad, you said. Anybody who has, who has children knows that refrain very well. But dad or but mom, you said, right? And whenever you hear a child say, but dad or but mom, doesn't, that's not good. That's not good. Might as well add another T on the end of that word. Anyway. You'll figure that out later. Doesn't God change his mind? In the book of Jonah, God sends the prophet to Nineveh in Assyria, okay, to proclaim the gospel. Now, during this proclamation, God promises to destroy the city of the inhabitants if they don't repent. So, Nineveh, a bunch of pagan folks, okay? They don't believe in God, they don't believe in the gospel, they're not faithful at all, they're just a bunch of rampant heathens, okay? Bunch of sinners, okay? Well, here's the deal. God says, Jonah, go over there and proclaim the gospel or I'm going to destroy that city. Well, what does Jonah do? He goes the opposite way and gets swallowed by a big fish, right? That's what happens. Well, in Jonah 3.10, it says this, When God saw what they did, repent, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. Well, that verse seems to tell me that God changed his mind. And if God can change his mind, doesn't that mean that God can change his mind about anything? Well, I know I said I saved Brittany Jones, but I didn't like that cupcake. So I'm just going to take that away. I'm sure he'd love your cupcakes, Brittany. It's okay. Doesn't God change His mind? Isn't this an example of God changing? Well, here's the answer. Yes and no. Yes and no. So what do I mean by that? Well, God did relent of the disaster that He was about to rain down on the city, and this change, though, was a part of God's providence. L- listen, when Nineveh, when Jonah, when he asks Jonah to go to, to, go to Nineveh to proclaim the gospel... Okay, and I call it the gospel loosely. It was a proto-gospel, okay? When, when he asked Jonah to go and preach the gospel to the Ninevites, and Jonah says, heck no, and he ends up going the other way and getting swallowed by a whale, God wasn't like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I can't believe Jonah disobeyed, and I can't believe that big fish swallowed him up. I'm so surprised. God does not sound like he's from Downton Abbey, but I'm just, that's where I went with it. I don't know, forgive me, Okay. He, that's not our God. God is not wringing His hands like, my, my plan's going to be messed up. All of this is part of God's plan. And so when God says, I'm going to destroy Nineveh if they don't repent, is that true? He absolutely is going to destroy Nineveh if they don't Repent. But God is also not surprised when Jonah gets vomited up in Nineveh, preaches the gospel, the Ninevites uh, repent in sackcloth and ashes and turn to God and he relents. God's not surprised about that. I can't believe I changed my mind. Why does he know he did? Because he providentially willed it in the first place. This was all part of God's plan. Every bit of it. He was not surprised in the least. Yet at the same time, his actions and his attitudes were genuine. They were genuine. He was genuinely furious at the Ninevites for their sin. He was genuinely furious at Jonah and his sin. He was genuinely blessed by the repentance of both. But it was not a surprise. So yes, did, Do- did God turn from destruction to grace? Yeah. Did God's providence change in the least? No. No. God didn't change in any of this. If I could, let me describe it this way. If instead of describing his plan to destroy Nineveh from a lack of repentance and indulgence in sin, what if God had simply said this? Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and proclaim the repentance to the city, but I'm going to save them regardless. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh And I want you to proclaim the gospel. But whether you go or not, I'm going to save him anyway because that's part of my plan. I'm going to save him anyway. What kind of motivation would that be for Jonah to go? He would have ran the other direction. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. It's not nice there. It's not Boca Raton. It's not any of that, okay? Furthermore, what reason would Nineveh have to turn to God if there was not a threat of destruction. Let's face it, folks. Hell is real and Jesus talks about it a lot. And it's not just because it's geography. It's because hell is a threat. It is a very real threat that he uses to scare people out of hell and into his loving arms. Okay? Now, we do not accept Christ for fire insurance. But at the same time, Christ does save us from hell. Jonah's mission and the threat of destruction towards the Ninevites were a means by which God's providence came to fruition. If we believe in God's providence so much... Why in the world do we send mission, missionaries out? What's, what's the point? If God's going to save them anyway, if that's part of God's plan, if God saved them before the foundations of the earth, why do we send missionaries out? Because we're not going to mess up God's plan. We don't have that power, right? So then why do we send them out? That's, actually some, that's a legitimate question to ask, and here's how I would answer it. Because missionaries are the means by which the gospel gets proclaimed. That was also in God's providence. What if God's attitude towards you changed like man's attitude? What if our salvation wasn't simply dependent upon the blood of Jesus, but on God's moody disposition? What if God was a seventh grader with the mood of a seventh grader? we'd all be in dire straits. By the way, Drake, when you become an eighth grader, I will still be referring to seventh graders, and you'll be out of the woods, okay? You're just falling in a very unlucky lot right now. But what if God's disposition changed? Where would we stand? And he looks at me, and God looks at me, and he says, well, Chris, you're very annoying today. I think I will smite you. Now, here's the the thing, folks. I annoy a lot of people all the time. I can be a very annoying person. I know that. When you're this handsome, you're about to turn some people off. We just recorded that on podcast. I am going to save it. You laugh because you know it's true. Anyway, I, for one, am ecstatic that God's disposition is not like the weather. I am so thankful. That God doesn't just change His mind flippantly. That God doesn't get done with a hard day's work and just, He's done with me. He's just done. That's not our God. God is not moody, folks. He's faithful. So let's finish by saying this briefly. Let's look at the interdependency of God's attributes. We've already seen from last week that God's independent, on anything in the created order, including time and history. However, we can say that God's attributes are dependent upon each other. So, without going into too much detail, let's look at this. If God could change, would God be faithful? No. Would He be dependable? No. Omniscient? All-knowing? No. Sovereign? No. All-powerful? No. Wise? No. Loving? No. If God could change, then we could not trust any of this. When the world around us is changing day by day, minute by minute, it is hard to put our faith in anything. And that's why Paul tells us to put our faith in God. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And this is what he says And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's where our faith rests. God's power and every other attribute does not change. We cannot trust the immutability of the weather of man or anything else in the created order, but we can trust that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not going to change. And so I will just finish with this. There will be times, and there have been times in our lives, when we are like a ship being tossed to And fro. Sometimes it is because the world is broken. Sometimes it is because we are broken. But in all of these things, for those who are in Christ, we have the confidence to be able to say this that we are more than conquerors because of Christ. That neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, kings, rulers, jobs, bank accounts. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, okay? Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love that we have in Christ. Nothing. So in your deepest darkest despair. I would ask you not to despair because God is ruling and reigning on His throne and He forever will be. And there is nothing to fear. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the fact that You do not change, Lord, and that we can depend upon You in and out of season, regardless of our circumstances. And while our circumstances may change, your love for us will not. Your power will not. Your providence will not. And we know that when we have come to Christ through salvation, that not only you have you saved us, but you will keep us. And you will help us finish the race and help us finish the race strong so that we might have the reward that you have promised. And that promise is dependable as well. So, Father, I pray that we would turn our lives over to Christ in every facet, in every way, Lord, and that we would not despair, that we would not feel as if we have been torn asunder, Lord, by this world, because we know that you have defeated sin. You have defeated death. And even in death, we will find victory because you found victory through your Son. Lord, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus name. Amen.